You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is Danny Anderson, and I'm thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Um, we are a proud member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network, so you should uh, check them out at christianhumanist.org. And uh, I'm really excited about this episode today. Joining me today is Dr. Justin Martin, who is an assistant professor of psychology at Whitworth University uh, in Washington. Um, Justin, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good, Danny. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I am doing really well. I'm really excited to um, speak with you today. You mentioned something in our conversations that made me feel really good. <laughs> so I just want to uh, just to throw that out there. Justin uh, is working with a former collaborator, a former interviewee on this show, uh, Angelo Letizia, uh, on several projects who he encountered through listening to the show and reached out to Angelo. And he and Angelo are collaborating now. And that actually makes me feel really good. Sometimes I wonder why I do this. And uh, you've given me probably the best reason I've had in months uh, by uh, by sharing that story for me or with me. I'm really, really uh, grateful for that. And we'll talk about what you're working on with Angelo here in a little bit. But um, today we're going to be talking with Justin about a lot of his research. And it's really fascinating stuff to do with comics and civics, civics education and, and a whole range of things around that. And so I want to just kind of introduce him real quickly. I said he's an assistant professor still, assistant professor at Whitworth University of Psychology. Assistant Professor of Psychology at Whitworth University, excuse me. And he's written for a lot of the same places I've written for, uh, Christ and Pop Culture, uh, Pop Matters. He's written for Think Christian, who I've not written for, but he's, uh, we kind of run in a lot of the same circles. So it's about time we uh, ran together here for a little bit for this episode. And uh, Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what you do and, uh, and what you're uh, working on here? Uh, sure. Great. Um, so yeah, I, uh, Basically, um, I study moral development, and a lot of my work centers around the development of understandings related to harm, welfare, uh, fairness, justice, and uh, rights, civil liberties. And I try to look at um, how those understandings develop, uh, for the most part, starting in, in early childhood and then kind of uh, changing in some ways, uh, not so much in others, um, as they age. And recently, that work has intersected with my interest in uh, pop culture, specifically superhero media and dystopian media. Um, so things like The Walking Dead, <clears throat> as far as dystopia. Uh, but uh, superhero media is a big part of what I do as well. But it's centered around this developmental approach to how children uh, and adults and adolescents uh, make sense of, of uh, moral concepts. And so obviously superhero media is a perfect subject matter to study uh, with regards to that subject because of just the nature of those narratives. How is it that you um, became interested in comics? Um, I should have also mentioned you're the creator of 
uh, I'm sorry, what's it called? R squared comics. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. But before you get there, um, how did you get interested in comics as a medium? Uh, wow. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I think I was, it was around third, fourth grade ish. Um, I was introduced, uh, from a family member to some comic books and, um, so that was my initial kind of introduction there. Um, I wasn't a huge reader of comics back then. I just wasn't a huge reader in general. That's one of the things I kind of regret as I've gotten older. Um, but I did like the characters. I liked the ideas of having superpowers and, and all that cool stuff. And then I would try to like, I would get tracing paper and try to draw the characters and all that. Um, so I did initially get into it, uh, getting into cards. Uh, I was really into the cartoons. That was probably the bigger introduction in the superhero media. Even though I had comic books, I didn't read them as much, but I watched the, the 90s Spider-Man, uh, the 90s X-Men. Um, so I was really into those shows. I didn't watch Batman as much. Uh, I watch it more now. <laughs> I appreciate it more now. But I think when I was younger, it may have been the tone was just a little too, uh, I guess, dark for me yeah. in terms of like the setting, the lighting and, and all of that. I was a huge Batman I'm also, I was a huge X-Men, Spider-Man fan when I was younger. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that was my introduction. And then middle school, high school, just had, you know, other concerns. Those things weren't as cool uh, um, as, uh, as they were when I was younger. And then something happened uh, in undergrad and then really in graduate school, early on in graduate school, where I started going to comic book stores again but also i started to be more serious about this um idea of studying morality um issues of 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 harm and fairness to some degree was always an interest to me even when i was younger but just in a different way like i would always get upset or bothered where i felt like somebody wasn't treated correctly or disrespected like even as a kid that that would bother me but i didn't really have a name for it then um but by the time I started, by the time I would say a senior in, in undergrad or between junior and senior in undergrad, something kind of clicked and I knew I wanted to study moral development. And I think two major uh, formative experiences in undergrad kind of helped with that. So I took a, a, a moral philosophy class in undergrad and that was really important um, because some of the conversations in that, in that class really struck a nerve with me and upset me and that that idea that sometimes things that upset you could maybe be a window into your passion rang true for me mm. rang true for me so this issue of justice how do we think about issues of justice and harm fair treatment uh treating people as um um you know ends of themselves versus just means in a society i, I was grappling with those questions as an undergrad and then I also took a class called educational psychology. Oh no, um, yeah, which is basically developmental psychology for educators. And the idea that you can study development was just mind blowing. Like that was literally a world that I didn't know about, but I was so interested in and it raised a lot of interesting questions for me. So I got introduced to developmental theory, developmental research and Shortly after that, it was pretty clear I wanted to combine the two. 
my interest in morality and my interest in development. And I just never look back. So, <laughs> and yeah. it, like I said, it connects very nicely with your interest in comics, right? Um, just the, the hero versus villain narratives, right? And, and you, I know you're particularly interested in the way comic book um, heroes kind of muddy the waters of right and wrong and, and kind of makes it a really fascinating arena to explore the questions that you're interested in exploring. And um, can I ask you real quick before we move on? I know we're going to talk a lot about Black Panther um, a lot today. Um, um, for me, I know like when I grew up with comics, it was like a, it was the comic books. And, and I think I told you off the air that it was Spider-Man for me mostly. Uh, and there was something obviously that I had that resonated with me about Peter Parker as the sort of loner outcast loser kid, right. Uh, who's empowered to do adventurous things. Right. Um, <clears throat> um, for you, it sounds more like it's the iconography of it. it, it it's sort of like the images of, of comics more as much or more than the stories um, caught your eye. And I wonder if that plays into you becoming a creator of, of sorts. And, and if, if you could talk a little bit about um, the creative work that you do as well. Uh, yeah. And actually, you know, uh, when I was younger, Spider-Man was my favorite uh, superhero in undergrad. A good portion of graduate school, he was my favorite. Uh, I shifted a little bit, but he's, you know, he's on my Mount Rushmore still. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I think for me that the, the creating a comic book uh, experience had more to do with the, I guess, dissatisfaction I had as a Christian um, not seeing or not feeling like they were Christian representations of superhero comic books that raised interesting questions, uh, had multifaceted characters and, and things of that nature. So I was a big X-Men fan, as I mentioned earlier. And um, to this day, that's like probably my favorite franchise. Uh, and uh when I was in graduate school, I got introduced to a comic book called The 99. Hmm. And I don't know if you've ever heard of The 99. I have um, heard of it. I have never read it. Yeah, it's 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 really great. Um, and basically, it the 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 the, the basis of the comic is it it centers around these generally speaking younger people, young people, so teens, kind of early adolescence or whatever. I mean, uh, I think early adult, teens and early adults, generally speaking. But the premise is, um, not, I'm trying to remember. I Factually, it's been a while, so hopefully I'm not mixing up the location, but I think it was Baghdad, like a library in, in Baghdad uh, that had extremely, you may want to fact check me on the actual location, but um, uh the library had all the world's knowledge, essentially. Okay. And basically what happened was the library got attacked uh, and the scribes uh, transported the knowledge into 99 stones. These are called Norse stones. And through a lot of different things, those stones got scattered all around the world. But basically what happens is these young people start to discover these stones. The question of if you actually discover it or it discovers you, kind of, you know, fate, kind of that kind of that idea undergirds the, the narrative. But basically what happens is if you if you get a stone, you have an ability that maps on to one of the 99 attributes that um, Muslims attribute to Allah. Mm. So however, you know, God is described, Allah is described in a lot of different ways. Um, so 
you embody one of those descriptors because that stone attaches to you. So when I read this, I was like, whoa, that's really cool way to kind of bring in ideas related to faith, uh, sacred scripture and, you know, the kind of teen superhero thing. And I was like, why isn't there a Christian something out there uh, related to that or, or, or something? And then I was like, well, let me give it a shot. So it was really that in my love for X-Men <laughs> that kind of inspired me to give it a try. And uh, yeah, something I did in graduate school. And uh, it's been on hold for a while just because, uh, you know, life and, you know, family, kids and, and work. But I do hope to revisit it at some point. Yeah, no, that's I understand the pressures of an academic career um, while having a family. I totally understand that. And I think it's a really great project. And and people can if when I'll tell people how to find you uh, at the end. But um, that stuff, I've seen images of it and it looks really, really interesting stuff. So um, I'll uh, I'll give you a little plug for that at the end of the show here. So um, let's uh, let's move on into what we're going to talk about. You want to talk a little bit about um, civics education. Um, through comics, right? And, and I want to just kind of let you run and uh, and set up the conversation. And I know that we want to get into Black Panther, which is you know a, a basically a comic that's heavily involved with um, with government, right? It, it's very much interested in the questions of government, and so it, it's a perfect uh, t- topic to use to uh, dis- explore these. But go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I guess my my interest in Civics education uh, has kind of a, a long history. Um, when I was in graduate school, um, I, I did want to like a, um, a research study for a class on how children perceive superheroes, attitudes towards superheroes. Um, eventually, it ended up getting getting published, uh, and then that was my first real introduction of taking concrete applications of my interest in superheroes and trying to kind of think about it from a science theoretical perspective. But, uh, but there are also other projects I did in graduate school that was more related to the ways that, you know, superhero uh, narratives may depict um, uh, kind of pro-social competencies, uh, things like tolerance and things of that nature. So that was kind of there even in graduates, you know, early on in graduate school, but um, as it became clear what I wanted to study as far as like my dissertation and what I wanted to form as the basis of a research program as a, as a, um, uh, a faculty member, it really centered around this theory called uh, social cognitive de- uh, domain theory. Mm. So uh, social cognitive domain theory um, basically argues that we have distinct conceptual domains that uh, we use to understand how we interact with people. Uh, One domain is moral, but the other two domains, they kind of start with a big three, uh, aren't moral um, from their perspective, but they can sometimes interact with the moral domain. So a lot of their research starts with this idea that the mind is flexible, it's diverse, so to understand how we make decisions, we want to account for the areas of consistency amongst a people group. So where do we tend to agree? And then inconsistency, where do we disagree? So this idea of viewpoint diversity is, is very uh, important from this perspective. 
so the more I got into that theory, the more it led me into civics ed in the context of that being a huge goal for a lot of social studies and civics educators is how do you appreciate value view, viewpoint diversity? How do you articulate positions? How do you try to understand uh, the implications of a decision, uh, even a decision based on assumptions you may not agree with? Uh, so that's where that just kind of came together for me um, thinking about civics ed because it's it's re it's really about thinking about disagreements grappling with the hard questions um, respecting individuals uh, even if they have views that you disagree with but treating them as ends and of themselves and of value and even if you disagree in certain areas I just think that's a very important skill and I think in my own journey particularly in education it served me very well um, in the classroom and outside of the classroom um, to kind of be comfortable on that space of agreement and disagreement amongst people I'm very close with and people that may just be acquaintances. But I think regardless, it's it's a normal feature of social life. And I think it's an important one. Yeah, it's an interesting way to I mean, it's actually a good way to think about the classroom as a kind of society, a little microcosmic society, right? Where you ideally will have a diversity of viewpoints uh, coming together to, uh, to hash things out. And, uh, and so I think it's a really interesting theory to apply, uh, not just thinking about national government, but on the subject of national government, uh, the black, or there's a recent Black Panther uh, run in comics that I think you're you're particularly interested in. Um, it was very famous. It was a, it was kind of a big seminal moment, um, maybe four or five years ago, three four years ago it came out. Uh, you want to talk us through this? Nation Under Our Feet is is the name of the uh, is the run of the run. Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah. I was I was really interested in that series. Uh, mainly because one of the biggest things that appealed to me is for in terms of T'Challa as a superhero is that he his responsibility is multi-pronged. So like he's this kind of superhero in a classical sense, but he's also a leader of a nation. He's also accountable to people in a way that I think a lot of your other major superheroes or a lot of other uh his other say Avengers teammates um aren't and i think that says something very interesting about the dynamism of that character so when i kind of got wind of the synopsis that wait a minute all of these actions that he's been engaged in have implications and consequences for people who aren't superpowered for people who aren't a member of the political elite for 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 people who are just struggling day to day right um so i thought that was a really cool idea to explore this idea that wait a minute what happens when people really start questioning his legitimacy as, as king? Um, what happens when he starts questioning his own legitimacy and if he's doing the right thing? Uh, what happens when some people take advantage of that discontent, that instability, and kind of create some kind of revolution that causes more harm than good? Um, so, so those things really fascinated me with that story. So I was really interested in it. And the other thing I'm really interested in is the fact that, and people can read it different ways, but from my perspective, it's not apparent to me that T'Challa is the most central character in that story uh, 
outside of Wakanda. Like I think Wakanda usually in most Black Panther narratives is the center character. And I, I kind of write about that in some of my stuff. But in this story in particular, I think the philosopher, political philosopher Chang Meyer is super important in that narrative. And I just really like the way that different characters lean on him and even his his arc within that that uh, run. I think it just exemplifies what I love about the Black Panther stories. It's like you really can't separate T'Challa from Wakanda and how people feel about things, how they react to things. He's always considering the implications of this versus that. And he has to make certain choices that aren't just about him being a superhero. It's also about him dealing with the the people who um, he's accountable to. Yeah, I um, have been collecting Black Panther uh, monthly since that run began. And uh, I've really been uh, interested in it. And I read that one um, from beginning to end. And that political philosopher um, was a really interesting character. And I also think I, my take one of my takeaways from him was there was a, a generational um, conflict that, that is going on. There's a, there's a, a meditation on, on generational mm. concepts of civics uh, that, that it centers around his character a lot. And, and it, that's got to factor into um, a lot of the discourse we have about civil society, right? Is the way different people from different times um, who kind of came of age in different times see the world, right? Yeah. 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 I definitely, I definitely agree. And I think that that aligns well with this notion um, that in a lot of areas are how we think about issues are responsive to kind of broader structural conditions. And sometimes we modulate beliefs in a particular area in these very contextualized situations. And, and we see that a lot over generations, whether it's about the economy, the role of the government in terms mm -hmm. of the affairs of an individual. Um, I was just talking to a colleague about this yesterday, you know, for those of us who lived through 9-11 as a part where we remember everything, and it was such an important part of our coming of age. You know, I started, uh, that was, what, two, two and a half weeks into me starting undergrad, mm. uh, freshman year, that was 9-11. Um, and just kind of living through that, the war on terror, uh, uh, the falsehoods that were told in terms of uh, weapons of mass destruction, uh, it was just really interesting time. But what, what's also interesting is that if, if you can, if you look at some polling data regarding how people viewed civil liberties in the abstract, but also in the context of, say, 9-11 and what the government could do to kind of prevent terrorism, you see some differences during that period where some people were a little bit more accepting of governmental intrusion if it meant that you can prevent another attack like 9-11. Uh, that's not to say that people don't believe that individual privacy and civil liberties are important, but sometimes we do respond to these very contextualized situations. Um, and that kind of tying back to comic books, I think that's one of the things I love about the comic book space is that they use these interesting narrative devices to explore how abstract concepts sometimes respond to contextualized situations through time travel, through origin stories, through alternate realities, through people losing their powers. 
through unintended consequences, you create a villain by thinking you're doing something heroic, but there's collateral damage. I, I just love the genre because of that. Yeah. It's always just full of what's normative, what's contextual, and how we how we navigate that. Yeah, and I want to put a pin on the discussion you had about civil liberties. I, rec- I was doing some research for the show. Folks at home, I do a little bit of research, at least for the show. Uh, and I read an interview, I think, with you. I, I know it was with you. I think it was an interview that I, you were talking about the the sides that you have taken in the debate over the Civil War um, narrative. And where at once at one point you were more on Cap's side. Um, and then you kind of went to Tony Stark's side uh, after a, a point. But a lot of that is over a question of civil liberty, right? And, and so you've, in your own um you know, value system adjusted uh, your expectations for civil liberties on some level. And it's, it goes with your, it's connected to your reception of that, of that, of that story. Yeah. Yeah. And actually this is something that um, me and Angelo, I think it's close to a year ago. Now we uh, presented at a conference. We have a working paper on a, a civil war and uh, that's something we explore is the different perspectives and how what to some degree one can argue that they're emblematic of just kind of the push and, the push and pull we've had over those questions throughout history uh, where there, there's never been a end all be all in terms of civil liberties insofar as people make the commitment to try to live together. Yeah. Um, that's just the nature of, of reality, social reality. And um, yeah, so it's, 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 yeah, that's that's been a really interesting journey for me, and it's always fun to read that that comic over again and and see like, wow, man, I, I really did think about things differently when I was younger and, and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a really cool idea. Something I teach about a little bit as well um, in my moral development class. Uh, I show clips of some of the debates they have in the film, yeah, uh, around the, the registration act and all that. Um, but I think it's. It happens in a lot of other contexts, just using different stimulus events. But we see the push and pull, uh, you know, in, in kind of popular discourse, rather it's about immigration, rather it's about something else, uh, militarism, uh, all kinds of things. We see this push and pull uh, regarding how we view civil liberties in general contexts and in very contextualized in unique situations. Yeah, in um, your research as a, a psychologist in psychology, then um, in developmental psychology, particularly, how I, you could probably speak to how useful it is to use comics as a jumping-off point for education to help students develop um, complex ideas by attaching them to kind of familiar narratives. Is that is that sort of the the idea? Yeah, yeah, I I think uh for the most part that that's that's the idea. Um I think first and foremost um comic engagement well, I think comic books are are just kind of one aspect of a person's environment. And the way I view development is it's more aligned with what we think of as more of a constructivist view, mm. which is the idea that Excuse me. Although there are exceptions, people usually are meaning makers who interact with the world in different ways. And they try to think about and reflect on 
those interactions. And that's how you kind of construct ideas about what's fair, what's not fair, things of that nature. That's not to say that input, like just general input from, say, friends, peers, uh, parents, uh, other individuals don't matter, don't play a role. But by and large, what's happening is those inputs are interacting with other things and you're trying to make sense of everything together, like as a rational being. So comic books to me are just one type of environment. But within that environment, there's all these uh, ways that concepts interact with each other. So the superhero stuff, you're always running up against either the government proper and these morally relevant considerations of superheroes in terms of harm, fairness. Uh, you know, another thing I've written about is procedural justice mm. in a way that that's also common in superhero narratives. Um, and then you also have issues of like law enforcement and what's legal versus what's moral. Mm. Um, I believe that there's a psychological basis for distinguishing those two and superheroes narratives deal with that distinction often. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of times that's where you see superheroes is where they kind of critique the legal system to some degree. They side with it in others. But that presupposes that there's not a one-on-one correspondence between what's legal and what's moral, that in a lot of ways they're separate. And uh, so I think comics play off that really well. Um, I also think comic books, uh, because of their their features of, of uh, I mentioned this, like time travel origin stories, um, allow you to see how things are applied in different ways. And under different conditions, how you may turn out different or you may view things a little different if you tweak this. And then the medium as a way to have a person's thoughts, behaviors and words all on the same page at the same time. You can see where they align and where they don't align. And I think that's very reflective of, of actually how we do life together, even if the events are different. But a lot of times we say things we don't mean. A lot of times we say things and then 10 20 minutes later a day later we reflect on it we reevaluate it and then we re-engage with that person later to update some things um we change views based on information we receive right um all of that could be shown on a page and i just think that's beautiful to have thoughts actions words same page yeah sometimes in harmony sometimes in disharmony <laughs> And it's just like, oh, it's just so much to play with. Like, I can just pick apart. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what do I want to focus on? It's so fun. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's great. And it's great material for an, in an educational setting as well, right? It gives you a lot of uh, discussion material. And you were talking about the importance of context. That's what makes the what-if stories, what-if type stories to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I did a show exactly. several years ago now on the Red Sun um, uh, book of Superman where he – I mean, yeah. he just happened to land 12 hours later and he ended up in the Soviet Union. Right. And so uh, and so it's a completely different uh, ideology that he comes up um, to believe in. And uh, it makes us rethink, you know, communism, honestly, on some level uh, with Superman at the head of communism. And so uh, it's a really interesting um, those thought experiments are really, really interesting. Um, and I will say, too, just from my perspective as a humanist, um, I very often we'll have to confront the question of why what I do is somewhat important in the mm-hmm. in the capacity that it is. But you're talking about a person in the constructivism 
um, idea. They construct meaning through their experiences. In our culture today, with the MCU and to a lesser degree, the DC um, movies as well, uh, much of the way they see the world is defined through the media that they consume, that, that people mm. consume, right? And so having a, a taking time to understand the ideologies and, and the implications of what we're watching, I think is a valuable thing, right? And, and I love what you do because it's like sort of mixing um, those two things. It's mi- mixing political science with with humanism, right? And, and I think I think it's really really fascinating stuff. And I think it's uh, it's very important because I, I have to say, and people like me uh, in the in the um, in the in the era of conspiracy theories, <laughs> as people yeah. like people like me are very concerned about that all the time, and people like me want to believe that we can sort of teach people skills to spot fake news or whatnot, right? And that's really right. not that's really not how the world works. That's really not how people people have the skills to spot fake news. They would use those skills to find more fake news if uh, because what what they're trying to construct a narrative that makes sense to them from the perspective they're in. So just teaching people skills to find fake news is putting the cart before the horse uh, from my my perspective. And so what you're talking about um, is much more in line with the way I see the world as well, too. So um, I want to talk about a couple of other things before I let you yeah. go. You'd mentioned briefly uh, a project you're working on with Angelo Letizia. Um great friend of the show. And once again, it makes me so happy uh, that my show <laughs> contributed something to the world of scholarship out there. Uh, and do you want to talk a little bit about that a little bit in a little bit more detail? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so basically it's a, uh, it's a, it's a book chapter uh, that's coming out. Uh, I think most likely sometime, maybe early or first quarter next year. Um, but basically it's a book related to using graphic novels in the classroom, comics and graphic novels. And uh, myself, Angelo, and another colleague uh, here at, at Whitworth, uh, we co-wrote a chapter. And basically the idea is that we are making the argument that through d- three different types of superheroes, um, you could see parallels between the way certain comics um focused on that superhero or depicted and some some learning goals related to civics ed mm. so um the other co-author he writes about daredevil and he uses a particular story in daredevil and he focuses on um the setting of comics so the environment the architecture mm. the spaces from like a sociological perspective and how that communicates things related to citizenship who <sighs> belongs who doesn't i love that um, yeah um uh, Angelo's section, he focuses on uh, um, uh, certain Batman comics and he focuses on the, the form of comics, the overall form yeah. of the medium, talking about issues related to citizenship, uh, citizenship is a co- in the context of justice and democracy. And then, and for my piece, I talk about a nation under our feet and I focus on the text of comics. So yeah. I focus on the narration in a dialogue and where characters are disagreeing and exposing, uh, expressing different viewpoints. And I talk about viewpoint diversity in a way that's consistent with civics ed. So we all try to take a different superhero and a different aspect of the genre, uh, setting, text, form, 
And uh, we, we, we wanted to make sure that we chose a superhero that we could make an argument you can't really separate from their social environment. Mm. So Daredevil, Hell's Kitchen, Batman Gotham, and then T'Challa, um, Wakanda. And uh, yeah, it really came together. We're really excited. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, it, 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 uh, some folks read it when it comes out, but it was one of the most intellectually invigorating and fun projects to work on. Uh, so I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm really excited to read that when it comes out, actually. That's that's uh, fascinating stuff. And thinking about the environments, I mean, the environment of Gotham and Hell's Kitchen, probably not that different, but Batman and Daredevil both come from different um, aspects of that reality, right? They're like Daredevil's right. from the street, Batman's from above, kind of, right? And, right, uh, and, right. and their actions kind of uh, uh, reflect their uh, their different positions in there. And, and yeah, I think it's just fascinating stuff. Um, and I'm currently reading the new... I, now, so after Nation Under Our Feet... Mm -hmm. There's um, the Galactic Empire of Wakanda. So there's it's Black Panther in space, basically. And I, I got a few episodes or issues into that. And then mm -hmm. life took over, and now I have a stack of those to finish. And so, uh, but I haven't quite finished that narrative. But um, the recent narrative, which I have picked up since it came back out, um, is kind of this like spy thriller story where he's uh, T'Challa is back on uh, Earth. Um, in the in his absence, Wakanda has transitioned into like a parliamentary democracy. Um, they've okay. um, foregone uh, the uh, the monarchy, and mm -hmm. T'Challa in like planned for this on some level, and he sort of plants planted basically spies in other countries um, to uh, kind of act, almost like a sleeper cell, if you want to think about it. Uh, and mm -hmm. someone has found out about the, uh, the sleeper cell and all his spies are being assassinated. It's a really fascinating story. But in that you have T'Challa as a rather, I mean, he's consistently a, a, a high minded quasi democratic King, right? He believes in people mm -hmm. and yet he always, in this story, he has a distrust of democracy actually working, right? Uh, and that's a really fascinating contradiction in his character, and, I, and I'm sure that you, you find that interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And uh, that that's interesting to see that that's kind of where it's there it went. I know the nation under our feet kind of ended with him mentioning that there's going to be a plan to, to kind of think about reevaluating the, 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 the structure in Wakanda. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's it's interesting, and I think, too, what I think is really fascinating about the comic medium is that there are certain things where there's like a base to a character that's more or less consistent mm -hmm. over time, over different writers, over <laughs> generations, right? Like, generally speaking, T'Challa is going to be a hero, right? But then there's a lot of other areas that are also relevant to how we think about morality where his positions change or you may think well this is kind of contradictory uh or hypocritical you mm -hmm. know some people may say that but i think from the the kind of constructivist view i think it raises some interesting questions about well i'll put it this way i think for me one of the biggest takeaways from the more constructivist view of development particularly in the realm of morality because that's typically one of the areas where we care a lot about notions of contradictory behavior hypocrisy oh you say you lie here but you you don't lie here but then you did tell a lie yeah you talk about this or you talk about 
you should value human life here, but you don't here and all right. that, right? I think one of the, the benefits of that approach is that it really asks us to think about slowing down before we label someone a hypocrite. Mm. Because, for two reasons, generally speaking, I think. One, have we really thought through how to distinguish hypocritical behavior from a flexible mind responding to very real different situations that may have different features. And we may relate those features differently. Um, and then secondly, I think it, 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 we, it, it, it encourages us to think, you know what, hmm, what's the range of social experiences that you've been in personally has it been diverse enough to say that what you conceive of as a principle won't be modulated at all if you were to experience varying conditions? So I think there's a humility baked into that approach that just really resonates with me. Uh, and I just think the more we appreciate the ways that we can separate where things to appear to be consistent and where they're not and the reasons for the inconsistency mm -hmm. uh we um can maybe have a more humane discourse around important and charged issues but i, I don't think we get to the separation part because we're so focused on the the, the disparate acts themselves which for good reason i understand because a lot of times they're morally charged but i think there's a a basis for stepping back first and re reserving judgment until we know more yeah. uh, about why we make different decisions in different contexts. And then again, kind of tying it to the superhero stuff. A lot of times they'll depict an event that's happened over, over multiple years. And then a new story will come out and they'll reveal a new piece of information that we never knew about that informed that character's choice. And then a lot of times we approach the character differently, right? It's like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, so you were acting over that belief. Yeah. I didn't know about that belief, but yeah. this flashback, right? This kind yeah. of, you know, this, this this kind of narrative device transported us to a, a a different way to to view that perspective and I you know, um I think that's very important. Um but also want to say I'm not saying that our views are going to change all the time and we're just up to the whim of the moment because that that's not consistent with the constructivist position either. Um, cause there are some things that we tend to stick to. Uh, but I just think we could benefit from trying to separate those things more and distinguish between those things instead of lumping them all together. And then when we see something that appears to be inconsistent, yeah. we want to judge, yeah. uh, and, uh, then I, that leads us down, I think, a road to not only unproductive discourse, but unfortunately, immoral treatment if we're not careful. Yeah. Uh, a good comic narrative example of what you were talking about, I think, is of, of, a, of reevaluating a character based on new information is Magneto being a Holocaust survivor, right? That that changes <laughs> the character essentially, right? I mean, fundamentally, I mean, it, it fundamentally changes him as a, as a character and makes him much more um, sympathetic, obviously, but but interesting as well and um, and makes you consider his positions more. And with regard to T'Challa, I mean, he's been around long enough to see ostensible 
democracies not do well, right? Not not do justice. And, and so his suspicion of them is is warranted from that perspective as well, right? His with his engagement with the larger world. And so yeah, that that's fascinating stuff. And and uh oh, I was just gonna say too, connected to the T'Challa point, one of my favorite comic runs was what was it called? Uh gosh. The series right before uh Doom War. I can't remember the the name at the moment, uh, but basically, th- at this point, he was still married to Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was coming off the heels of Secret Invasion. He was, you know, the heels of him being in a coma because Doctor Doom attacked him because he didn't want to join a cabal. Namor tried to get him to join and all this stuff. Outside of the coma, once he comes out of the coma, he's he's very skeptical of a lot of people, but we don't know why. He's very cold. He doesn't talk to Storm a lot. He's very tight-lipped about things. And it's not until a few issues that you realize the reason why he was doing that is because he had got wind before everyone else that Doom had put nanites in a lot of people within Wakandan royalty and a political elite, and including Storm. Mm that would get information. So basically Doom was trying to spy on Wakanda because Doom War was Doom's play to steal vibranium. Mm. So we realized later that the why, the reason why T'Challa was acting very differently is because he knew he knew that there were nanites all around and he couldn't trust who he talked to, even his wife. And I was like, well, yeah, that's a good example of new information kind of ch- changing your, your, your assumptions about things. Uh, but yeah, that, oh, I just love that run. I just can't remember the 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 name of it, uh, the the actual title. But oh man, it was some good stuff. Yeah, it it's so many. And, and you're right. Another example of the real intellectual productivity of these stories. They they really do raise um, fascinating and kind of relatable. Um, situations for us to kind of think about um, our actual world in through, and so and I. And I, I, I would just say this one quick thing too. Like, the reason why I'm, I, I try to think about it in the context of younger people, uh, kids, and and even thinking about cartoons and things of that nature is, I as, I assume, and a lot of this is built into the constructivist assumption too. A lot of people, uh, young kids, are grappling with similar questions in their social interactions. Um, so one one of the things that I try to like when I give a talk related to my research or in some of my writings, I try to kind of have my quote unquote audience think about or reflect on what can typically happen in, during recess, mm. a, a typical day of recess in the, in the life of, say, a, a seven year old or an eight year old or a nine year old in a different ways that moral issues can come up on a playground uh, or non moral issues or conflicts or what we may call dilemmas and how common those conflicts may be to the life of a young child. So I believe they're grappling with complexity in different ways. Um, no, it's not as uh, essentialized as uh, comic books, of course, but social life can be complex for young kids too. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can, if you really paid attention to what happens during recess, yeah. <laughs> our conversations that happen during recess are the way people feel like how to select people for teams and issues of fairness and procedural uh, matters and harm. A lot of that stuff plays out on the playground constantly for young kids, and they think about it 
they reflect on it. Um, so I think it's happening already for them and just in different ways. Yeah. And the essential nature, as you say, of, of comic heroes, I mean, makes them, I mean, they be, they become templates for what we think about with justice and, and truth and, and that sort of thing. And, and so, yeah, I absolutely think that, um, uh, that's another reason to take this, this content, um, seriously. And, um, I just want to say, uh, one, as you're talking about, um, being slow to point out hypocrisy for the very good reasons that you point out, um, because people are flexible <laughs> and that, um, people, I mean, have like limited experience, right? And we don't know what we would do in a certain situation that we haven't experienced. Um, I think that is a major problem in our political discourse, particularly online. So much of it, and I think we have probably the Daily Show to <laughs> partially to blame for this, or to thank maybe for this, is that so much of it is just pointing out, well, you said before this, but now you say this. Hmm, interesting, right? And so, uh, so much of it just begins and ends at uh, pointing out someone else's hypocrisy as a form of political critique, right? And And it is... It's shallow and it's inadequate and it, um, and it honestly has no political end either. There's no, it's just scoring points on Twitter when you do that, right? And so I think it is something very powerful for us all to think about as we, you know, engage in political questions that are increasingly important as the, as history goes on. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, I would just say like, I share a lot of your concerns, um, especially for young people. Uh, kids, teenagers coming up, future leaders, because I don't know where, I don't see robust uh, examples of, of adults handling viewpoint diversity well. Um, but the, the, one of the things that really concerns me about the political landscape is, by nature, a lot of political issues, in my opinion, involve a mix of moral and non-moral considerations. Um, and a lot of the messaging, however, on, on, on different sides tend to try to make the issue very simple in a lot of ways from a moral perspective. And I think that just feeds into division mm. because the root of most political issues are not just moral, but they're moral and non-moral. Right. And they're a lot more complex. And so I try to want what the political stuff is, is really tough. I try to I'm like, man, it's. To, for things that are political, they're multifaceted by nature. That's a lot what politics mean. Right. <laughs> but the but but to to get sides, you try to have individuals view it largely from one view, and 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 that's not to say that people can't weigh different things and prioritize because that's a part of social life too. But I think if the messaging, the media apparatus is is only geared towards simplifying what by nature is very complicated narratives and they simplify them in a way that's primarily moral when by nature they're moral and non-moral right then you're just going to run into misunderstandings right uh inaccurate assessments of hypocrisy and uh judging people over the content of their ideas and then eventually treating people as means instead of ends yeah i think all that plays out in different in interesting ways when you try to treat complex moral and non-moral issues as primarily one or the other, right? It's just yeah. problematic, in my opinion. And honestly, everyone who does this essentially ends up 
becoming hypocritical themselves, right? Your your own politics will eat itself at some point. And um and, and yeah. And this is to me the the major flaw in the whole like right side of history um discourse. That's what, everyone just wants to be on the right side of history. Um yeah. and that's a, an entirely moral argument in the face of something far more complex. And so I, I completely agree with you, Justin. Um real quick before I let you go, I uh I know you have to run and I have to run, but um you're working on a future project, a comparison between T'Challa and Namor. And I just wanted to bring it up because the recent trailer for the new um, Wakanda Forever film, Namor, they've translated him from an Atlantis king into some, like, I think it's Aztec um, idol or god. Um, so that'll be interesting. But um, they are really interesting. Now, in the comics, um, Atlantis and Wakanda are at war frequently. Namor... It's very a slippery character because he's both heroic and a villain. I actually was reading recently a uh, a, a brief a miniseries called Atlantis Attacks. Um, and in an early issue of that, um, someone talks about, someone tells Namor, well, you're acting like a monster and I thought you were the hero. And he says, well, I'm a king and that makes me both. Uh, and that's a really, <laughs> that's totally Namor. <laughs> but, uh, and so I just would love your, uh, uh, your perspective on, on those two characters and what you're, what you're interested in them. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good, um, yeah, it's, um, that's, that's really, um, uh, yeah, that quote got me thinking about something else I've I've written about, uh, and I'm gonna try to see if I can find the the actual quote because it's it's literally something from um that from a uh, nation under our no no this is from the film mm. uh, this actually comes from the film, however it it ties to what you're saying and it's actually it's a well actually two two quotes actually one in the the civics ed and wakanda paper there's a uh i have a quote from a a, a scene where or i mentioned uh changelmeyer and uh t'challa having a conversation and um i think i actually put it in there or i put it in another paper but anyway it's from a nation under our feet and and uh t'challa is is coming to Changemeyer and and you probably remember this, but this is one of their earlier meetings in that story where uh, you know people have been killed through these rebel uprisings, and T'Challa's like, wait a minute, man, I'm kind of losing my my country here, and it you know it turns out that some of Changemeyer's ideas have been revolutionized, and that's why he tends to be a, a focal point in that story, and Changemeyer is telling T'Challa. Um, uh, do you, what he, what he says, he says, um, um, who in their right mind, um, uh, would try to hold a nation under their feet. Right. So then he's, he's commenting on the monarchy. Right. And I think it ties to that Namor quote. Right. The idea being when you make, oh, here's the quote, who in full sanity would, would hold, try to hold a nation under their feet. Um, and I think that's really important to consider. Uh, here and then the other quote, and I can't pull up the exact language right now, but this comes from the film, um, the Black Panther film, and this is a conversation with T'Challa and his father, I think, in an astral plane. And the father tells T'Challa, "You're a good man, 
but I'm paraphrasing now, uh, but it's hard to be a, a good man and a king. Right. Right. Like he, he's telling them about that tension. And that's what I think is so fascinating there. Right. Uh, and with, with Neymar, but also T'Challa. And I think that's part of the reason why amidst the wars and the disagreements, there's a healthy respect for both individuals. Right. Um, and one of the things I want to explore hopefully in this paper is not just their different governing philosophies and their relationship, but the social life of the people that they're responsible for. Right. And where are the, the areas of similarity and differences and how moral concepts and non-moral concepts play out in those social arrangements. Right. Because uh, on some level, the societies are different. And I think that has a bearing on the leader's motivations. So, you know, it it's, it's going to be, hopefully it's going to be as much about Atlantis and Wakanda, if not more about those comparisons than Black Panther and uh, T'Challa and Neymar. Namor per se. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's the social configurations to me is more interesting personally. Yeah. Very fascinating stuff. And, and uh, just to say with Namor, one more, one thing that makes him so interesting is that he is, un, he doesn't, by the charade, uh, there's like a fairy tale we tell about great leaders, right? And, and Namor is um, sees the cold, our honest light of it, and just accepts it, and doesn't even like. I mean, he just accepts to save some people. I have to kill others, and that's just the nature of the game, right? And, and so that makes him a really compelling character. I think I'm so happy he's finally making it into the MCU here. Um, so, Doctor Justin Martin, this has been so great. Now, I, I know you on Twitter. Um, it's R squared comics, C O M I C Z, um, is, uh, your Twitter handle. What are some other ways that people can uh, find you and find out about what you do? Uh, you can feel free to find out, reach out, uh, via my page, uh, Whitworth university, my faculty page email there. Um, my personal email is, uh, J U S T, uh, dot F is in Frank, uh, dot Martin at Gmail. You can reach out there. Um, those are usually the primary ways that, that people get in contact with me. Yeah. And on your Twitter page, there is a link to your academia.edu um, page as well. And um, they can find out uh, a great deal about what you do. This has been so much uh, fun for me. And so intellectually enlightening and enriching. And I really, really appreciate it, uh, Dr. Martin. I really uh, look forward to reading your future work. And, and please, if you have anything uh, else to talk about, just let me know. You're always welcome on the show. This was a fantastic conversation. Um, Thanks, and, Danny. And Go for, the same way. Uh, for Justin Martin, my name is Danny Anderson. Um, thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast.